Welcome to Creating Common Sky, Conversations in a Fractured World. Join co-hosts Wendy Root and Julia Van Dam in their musings and their conversations with modern-day wisdom keepers as they explore issues that are fracturing our families and communities. Discover insightful ways to reclaim the light and laughter from the global shadow. Remember, reclaim, rejoice, relax. Hello, and welcome to Creating Common Sky. I am Julia Van Dam, and I'm here with my co-host, Wendy Root. Wendy, could you tell us a little bit about the origins of Creating Common Sky? Yes, I am very excited to share the origin stories and some of the big ideas behind Creating Common Sky. But first, I'd like to say how excited I am to be starting out on this adventure with you, Julia, and with you, our listeners. The idea of having big conversations in an inviting and inclusive way has been evolving in me for decades. I just had no idea it would be in the form of a podcast. I should thank my friend and colleague, Linda Manning, who mentioned that I should do a podcast and directed me to check out Turnkey Podcasts' introduction class. And I should thank Doug Sandler, who put the class together in such an approachable and fun way. So here we are, six weeks later, with what I hope is a great venue for intriguing conversations. So... Creating Common Sky was born in me from a deep wonder at what was happening in our political and social conversations, our disagreements, and why there seemed to be so little evolution in our ability to understand one another. In fact, we seemed to be devolving and fracturing into ever smaller splinters, unable to hear or even understand each other. For years, I've watched friends and family, neighbors and colleagues pull into their respective corners and argue for or against contentious issues. The thing that fascinates me is how people lean into their justifications for their viewpoints and then are dumbfounded and disdainful of the others who don't share their moral reasoning. And yet, when the topic changes, their formerly held moral footing gives way and they find themselves arguing from the opposite justification. For instance, one woman might ardently defend a woman's right to choose what is right for her body and family, defending abortion rights. Her neighbor, adamant that protecting the innocent unborn child obviously has the greater moral standing. And yet, shift the conversation to gun rights, and she who had just moments before championed the right to self-determination now argues for protecting the innocent who are so often the victims of gun violence. And her neighbor now argues for the right for self-determination, no matter who is hurt or killed in the process. What is really happening in these conversations? whose tempo has been whipped into a frenzy by the media and by Facebook algorithms? How is it that we trade moral justifications like baseball cards and don't seem to notice the inconsistencies? 
Whether the topic is immigration, defense spending, vaccines, voting rights, Palestine, or whose lives matter, each side defends their turf with moral certitude without ever noticing the inconsistencies of using any moral grounding available to them to defend their positions. I've been longing for more nuanced conversations full of curiosity and willingness to explore together. And this is what I hope to do in creating Common Sky. There was a specific moment when I began thinking about this. I remember so vividly. I was standing in my kitchen in 1992, listening to an interview with B.J. Isaacson Jones, who was the Director of Reproductive Health Services in Missouri. That's the state's largest abortion clinic. She was talking about ongoing dialogue she was having with anti-abortion and pro-life advocates. One of these conversations was with Andrew Puzder the St. Louis attorney who helped draft the Supreme Court case defining human life as beginning at conception. Another was Loretta Wagner, the president of Citizens for Life in Missouri. Certainly these were unlikely allies for great conversation, but what was striking about their conversations was that despite the understanding that neither side was going to convert the other, they managed to find a deep respect for one another as human beings. And they quickly found common ground in action where they could work together, reducing teen pregnancies and providing support for drug addicted mothers and increasing support for women who chose to give their child up for adoption. These private conversations gave rise to a public forum called Common Ground Network for Life and Choice, where groups from both sides agreed to come together and listen to each other and find ways to work together despite their different views. This interview was heartwarming and hopeful and heartbreaking all at the same time. B.J. Isaacson Jones described how participants in these common ground discussions were often targeted and shunned by their own sides for having the audacity to take time to listen. She spoke about a Republican state senator who said that she and other senators were targeted for defeat after they tried to fashion common ground wording in an abortion-related bill. And Naomi Wolf, the author of The Beauty Myth and Fire with Fire, was attacked by her own readers after suggesting that her movement consider the other side's position that every abortion is a death. I remember feeling so many things listening to that interview. I was hopeful that there were people brave enough to have these conversations, and I was stunned that they seemed to be so hard to do. How easily we make enemies of one another. How desperate we are to defend our positions. Wendy, I'm looking forward to witnessing conversations like the ones you described. Here they're speaking of common ground and you are speaking of common sky. What is the difference that you're trying to capture in that language shift? 
The sense of respect and listening are the same, but the common ground discussions are looking for ground we can agree upon, a group of actionable overlapping areas. It's profoundly necessary Common ground discussions create connection and understanding between groups at opposite sides of an issue. And when you have a single topic, that is really important to come in and go deep and find what are those things you can take action on, where you can agree, where you overlap. But in Common Sky, I am curious about our moral umbrellas. What are those things we lean into when we have such strident beliefs about what is the truth and what is morally right. I'm not so much looking at single issues, but at how we hold our beliefs and morality across all the issues. In creating Common Sky, I'm interested in exploring ways to see ourselves in the other even if we believe the other is espousing vile or reprehensible points of view. Is it possible to release our shadow projection and see the other as an ally? So you talk about the shadow in a global sense, and I'm familiar with it in psychology. Is it similar? Yes. Perhaps it can be best understood if it's thought about in the way that some people do dream interpretation, where everything in the dream is you. The house is you, the dog is you, the lost wallet is you, the crashed car is you. They're all part of you, and you are projecting outward onto the world and seeing them as the other. If we look at the nation, or the world as projections of the self. And then all change comes about through self-transformation. This is a very Taoist approach. Any attempt to change the world is difficult and ineffectual in their eyes. If you want to change the world, you transform yourself and it has a profound ripple effect on the entire world. The first time I started thinking about the projection of global shadow was the morning after George W. Bush was elected for the second time. I felt heartsick. I don't know how we would survive was how I felt. I had I felt I had to do something, uh, but being politically active out in the street was something I had left behind in my younger years. So what was I to do? What was there to do? I realized as I sat there trying to lift my own spirits, that there was no path forward to a more healed world with this sense of judgment and dread in my heart. My years of studying acupuncture and other forms of healing had taught me that what it means to heal something is always about making it whole. The amount of resistance and fracturing I felt at that moment was not on the path to the more healed world that I wanted to move into. I realized that I had to find a part of me that was George Bush. What part of me was I exiling, unable to look at and projecting onto him? I didn't know how I was going to get into that place, 
where I would reclaim and reunite with the little part of me that I was projecting onto George W. But I knew that if I clung to the way that I was feeling, that I was part of the problem. I'm not saying that I created George W. Bush. Those kinds of political projections are group efforts. But I was certainly participating. So I dropped in and decided to focus on when I feel myself contract and reject. I would look to include my shadow and understand my projections. We will do a lot more with this language and these ideas in future episodes, but I hope you get the idea of what it means to contract against something that's happening in the world because you're projecting something from yourself onto it that you can't look at or that you're unable to uh, include. I am going to have to do a lot of thinking about that, Wendy. (laughs) (laughs) I look around and who knows what I'm projecting into the world? (laughs) Oh, man. Well, Wendy, are there any um, more recent experiences with the world? And I mean, George W., he was was a little while ago, um, that have contributed to the creation of Common Sky that you might like to share with us? So, uh, yeah, I would say the, the time that I really thought, okay, I need to find some way to have these conversations out in the world was um, shortly after Trump was elected. And, um, you know, my own feelings about him being elected is kind of irrelevant, but but what was really fascinating to me is that I started hearing him say certain things like fake news and good people on both sides. And there was something that he was doing and he would say fake news and point at liberal media and NPR and and the New York Times and say fake news. And he would have the progressives and the liberals and the left running for cover, defending the news media, saying, no, it's not fake news. There's good reporters and and Wall Street Post, yeah, you know, I, and and I'm sitting there thinking, what what has just happened, right? Isn't it the progressives and the liberals who have for decades said, we have fake news here in this country, right? We have to get real news out there from from the Vietnam War to the Watergate cover up to, you know, pollution in the water to all kinds of things, you know, issue after issue after issue. It's been the left. It's been the progressives that have really pushed for, you know, a a news media that is more beholden to the truth and not to political agenda and not to, um, you know, one party or the other or or not to the pharmaceuticals or the, you know, the 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 big 
big companies, the big chemistry companies. And all of a sudden, all he had to do was point in a direction and go fake news. And we have this, this reaction to him and reaction to being pointed at and having that shadow, that, that projection cast on us that all of a sudden we're driven into the corner and we're defending the news media. It's like, how did that happen? Now it's true that there are, there is good reporting and there's lots of really great reporters, but, but all in all, I mean, this is our, our news reporting that, that didn't uncover the fakeness of yellow cake uranium right and got us into a war because they refused to question what was being handed to them fake news there's something true about fake news right what would have happened instead if we'd said yes fake news let's find a way to have true news but instead we let him claim that and then be able to say i can create fake news too <laughs> <laughs> and then all news is fake news. And then we get the ruling in, in, in Florida that says news doesn't have to be true. It's entertainment. And we've like come so far. It's like, how did that happen? It all happened because, because he took this statement and then projected it with an intention, not the words, but the intention at us. That, that sends everyone scurrying like cockroaches off a countertop. And, and, and it's amazing. It was amazing to me to witness that and to have him say things like, there are good people on all sides. And it's like, well, that is actually, in general, a true statement. It's just that in the very time that he chose to use it, the place that he that he chose to take this very true statement was the one time that perhaps it wasn't true <laughs> and so so again it's like all of a sudden that statement good people on both sides we're not allowed to believe that anymore and it's like but it is true there may have been some really violent intention in in the but but we can't we can't let true things be co-opted projected at us and then we're no longer allowed to stand on that side what what if we say yes there are always good people on both sides but let's talk about what that means right like what happens if we do that um I don't know. And, and, you know, the other thing that I noticed about him was he is one of the best projectors that of shadow that I've ever seen. Everything that he said, like he would say it in a big way, was exactly what he was doing. He would say, it's a witch hunt. It's a witch hunt. And then everything he did was a witch hunt. But people were no longer allowed to say, it's a witch hunt, you know, I, I, I mean, it, I, I mean, he would even say specifically, like there was a quote, he said, Obama and his attack dogs 
have nothing but hate and anger in their hearts and spew it wherever possible. It's like Obama. Obama was one of the most generous, forgiving. I, I mean, you know, you say what you want about his pre presidency, but he was not filled with hate. <laughs> and but that statement, that is what Trump was doing. And and time and time again, he would just say exactly what it was he was about to do, but in a way that projected it out there so that he became kind of Teflon. And yeah. Wendy, did you say that he was pointing, right? Yeah. He was like, point. so did you ever hear that? Like when I was a kid, my parents would say, now be careful because if you're pointing, you're pointing one finger that way, but look at all the fingers that you're pointing at yourself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Things I remember from my childhood. <laughs> yeah, right. Because you're pointing like this and all these fingers come back. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and so anyway, when that was happening, I thought we have to slow this conversation down and stop just reacting and and running like it like his language fractured us and it, he didn't he didn't begin it certainly but but he certainly whipped it up into a frenzy for us and and we're still there i mean we can't there are so many things we just can't talk about and you know vaccines and and any global issue there's almost no issue left on the table that we can talk about because everything is now taboo it's all in the eighth house of the of the uh, astrological chart it's all taboo well, <laughs> and these are going to be good conversations then <laughs> <laughs> so i think it's just about time that we bring it out and and have nuanced slower conversations. I was actually really, I can't remember who it was. I'll try to bring it up and put it in the notes, but there was, there was a um, conversation I heard on the radio the other day. I, I think it was an NPR report. Um, and, and it was somebody who was, um, he was a scientist and he was, he decided to go on to uh, help me with the name, the podcast of the guy who's being, oh, Joe Rogan. Yeah. Jim Rogan, uh, who's being vilified on, you know, it's like uh, you cancel culture, you know, and he decided to go on there to try to talk about his stances because he realized that, that, um, Rogan and his followers were talking about some of the things that, that he really also believed like that pharmaceutical companies, they, they are in it for the money and they will do a lot of things and they, and they hide a lot of information and they bury a lot of truths and they, and they slant a lot of things and we're not, you know, even doctors are not allowed to have access to a lot of their information and a lot of their research because that's how the laws are written to protect them. Right. So there's a lot that he knew, knew because he studied it um, uh, about that, that he was sharing with them. And yet and yet um, he also wanted to say these vaccines work like like, yes, the pharmaceutical companies are this way 
and these vaccines work, that we should be able to have these nuanced conversations. And, and the interviewer said, weren't you afraid that in going on his show that you were going to give um, validity to you know, his points of view that are anti-vaccine and, and all kinds of anti-this and anti-that. And he said, well, actually, when I read the comments of all of his followers, they were very supportive. They were very um, encouraging and thankful that I was able to open this up and say truthfully, yes, this is a complicated question. This is not a simple science on one side, ignorance on the other side question. It's a complicated question that has big government, big pharma, you know, science, information, the unknown, a virus that we're just getting to know. It, it's complicated. And, and his listeners were, were actually very thankful about that. Um, and and I, I thought that that was very hopeful, you know, that, that there are people out there saying, yes, let's have nuanced conversations. Let's allow some of what we hear on all sides to be very true. I mean, I think it's really interesting. Just one last thing I'll say, that in, in the election between Trump and um, Trump and Hillary, and Hillary. that... Um, that in the end, Trump won, but so many people like that. It was like, wow, how did that happen? You know, how did Trump win? So many people said, well, I voted for Trump, but I would have voted for Bernie Sanders. Right. That that the distinction is not left and right, that that there's something else happening, that the way that things are splitting apart, there's something else happening that I think that we can touch on and think about and open up and, and I don't know, peer into forbidden places <laughs> and, and have those taboo conversations and maybe, maybe consider thinking outside the box. And um, yeah. So thank that's you, my, Mindy. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you for listening, and we hope you've enjoyed hearing the origins and some of the origin stories of Common Sky. Um, I know that I am going to be looking for the next sunny day so I can really examine my shadow because that is the best time to look <laughs> for the shadow is during a sunny day. So I'm wishing you all good conversations and take the time to examine your own shadow in the sunlight. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Thank you for listening. These conversations can't happen without you. If you've enjoyed the show, please share your enthusiasm by recommending us to a friend. If you're interested in learning more, please go to creatingcommonsky.com, where you can find notes and any links we've promised you. And remember, breathe deep and rejoice.